Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. Uh, you know how this works, but in case you don't, it's a podcast where Mike and I, um, who are lifelong friends, watch movies separately and then talk about them for the first time on our podcast. So this week we're doing, continuing the horror theme, we're doing um, The Haunting, the 1963 film by Robert Wise, who of course did, you know, it's amazing, Mike, the resume he had. I mean, he did I Want to Live in 58, Run Silent, Run Deep, also in 58, you know, West Side Story, famously in 61. Um, after this, he made The Sound of Music. He ended up making Star Trek, the motion picture in 79. So certainly a storied career. This came out in 63. So Mike, what was your overall take seeing it? My overall take is they don't make them like this anymore. And some some of that is good and, so, and some of that is bad. I really like this movie. Uh, one one thing that you'll that you'll get from this movie that you won't get anywhere else, and one thing you should know, major spoiler alert, uh, there are no ghosts in this movie. So if you think that this is the kind of movie where you're you're gonna see something, all of this is experienced as you would experience a haunting, which is noises, it's the feeling of presences, it's the feeling of uh, something unsettling. There's a there's a a scene in the movie where you hear something run past a door and there's a weird sniffing coming from under the door. And then somebody says that they ran outside to chase a dog that, that doesn't exist. It's, it's that kind of movie. So, um, you know, there, there are some interesting and weird film conventions that really don't exist anymore uh, in this film. There, a lot of the film is, is atmospheric. Uh, the main character um, played by uh, Richard Johnson, uh, can't, He's, he has a monologue where he talks about his background and he says that his, his parents were Victorians, you know, essentially uh, who carried stuff into the 20th century. And so a lot of this is, is faux Victorian. It's not just the character's background. It's the kind of aura or atmosphere that, um, that's in the house. That's, that's not anywhere else. Um, and we all know how creepy uh, Victorian children's dress is. And so that, that, that is actually explicitly played up in the film as well. And so those are not, I don't think that, that that's what folks lean on for horror anymore. If you look at contemporary horror films that we're working in, they, they either go much further into the past um, or they're uh, totally modern and full of, and full of real ghouls, uh, re real things that you can see. But there's a Victorian sense of horror that permeates this film that I think is just classically encapsulated in 1963. And it's, it's not the kind of thing that you're gonna get again. 100%. I mean, it reminded me of, um, you know, when I remember being like sixth or seventh grade, reading Stephen King books, and, so, and a librarian kindly said to me, you should read The Turn of the Screw. It's the scariest book ever written. And of course, I got home, but after like 10 pages, I'm like, no, this isn't, what, I don't even understand what's going on. Now, of course, I think it's deeply unsettling. And it's the same, it, this movie works in the same kind of way. It's funny you talked about other movies, other ghost stories, because of course we did Poltergeist. And in Poltergeist, the ghosts make a giant show of, of showing that they're like P.T. Barnum. And they're gonna like make the chairs balance and make the toys. But this one, I think it has such a, such a sense of what it's like to be in a nightmare where you're paralyzed. So the scene where Eleanor and Theodore are holding on to each other and you know, they just hear the noises outside, the boom, 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 or when the door is breathing and they can't move because they're so afraid. That strikes me, that's what a nightmare is like. A nightmare is not like poltergeist. A nightmare is that you're, you're paralyzed with fear and you can't move. And it also reminds me of, of uh, the, the thing I love about this movie and the Victorian sensibility about it. You said, you just said movies would go a lot farther into the past. There's no treehouse scene in this. Like there's this vague impression about the Crane family and the nurseries, an unhappy place, and, and this is where she died. But I think today, if this were written, there would be an algebraic 
you know, equation where at the end you would figure out, oh, the reincarnation of this and, and they'd find the family tree somewhere. I think it's best encapsulated with the, okay, so the first time you watch this movie, let me set this up for you and then you tell me how you would have written this movie and be honest. There's a character chasing another deranged character up a staircase and the staircase is wobbling and it's coming out of the wall. And if he just moves the wrong way, they'll both collapse and they'll both die. Now, how would you write that? Well, actually, we're going to talk about that in part two, because that's my moment. We, we better just jump there now. All right, I'll see you there. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, so in part two, we like to talk about our key scenes or key moments that encapsulate the, the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, I almost just stepped on your toes there, so why don't you go? That's okay. I mean, let me, let me set up my moment here because I think this movie does a lot of things, just like you said, brilliantly. You know, it's another movie we've done, like, you know, Parasite or Rosemary's Baby, where the house is a character, obviously, right? But it's also like another movie we've done, Mike, which is, of course, The Shining, where you have the Overlook Hotel. And, and not just because the Overlook Hotel is creepy, but the house is a great conduit for the, for the protagonist's insecurities, right? And Eleanor is a bundle of insecurities about, and, and Julie Harris does such a good job of that portrait of that person who's so nervous and wants to belong and has all this baggage from taking care of her mother that she wasn't a good daughter. And, and the ghosts know that just the same way that the ghosts know exactly what Jack really thinks of his wife and his child. And they prey upon that. And there's a million examples of that in the movie. But um, my moment was when, you know, Eleanor is, is up at the top of the ladder and she's leaned over that top railing and she's about to fall. And Dr. Markway has to climb up and get her and the bolt's coming out, right? So I think that that moment is great for three reasons. First, um, the spiral staircase image is perfect because the whole movie is about the house spiraling around Eleanor and tightening its grip on her. Second, I think that that moment where she leans back over the railing, that perfectly represents her frame of mind. She's halfway between wanting to die and wanting to stay in the house forever, but also she wants to be caught in the arms of Dr. Markway, who of course she, she, she has become smitten with, right? Um, and then the third reason that moment is so great is because when it's over, the movie completely earns the jump scare of Markway's wife opening up the trap door. Jump scares have a bad rep. They're cheap. They usually are. Um, the first jump scare in the movie when she sees herself in the mirror, that's like a kind of a fun little one, huh? But when the whole thing calms down and that face pops up, that is the, I think that is a well-earned, perfectly done jump scare. So that's my moment. What were you going to say about the spiral staircase? Well, I was going to say that uh, according to, you know, Chekhov's gun, if, if, that, if that spiral staircase is coming out of the wall, it's coming down. And any, any screenwriter from really any program in the United States or anywhere, if you, if you gave them that as the setup, they would naturally have the denouement circle around the staircase coming out. Right. And that would be, that would be the end of the film. That's, that's your film. She doesn't want to go into the library. You know, th this is a, this is, the theme of insecurities. And so just to kind of double your moment and hit on the, the Victorian theme that's permeating the film, 
the, the beautiful thing about Victorianism and, and classic Victorian repression, uh, in my air quotes, quotes, is that there's truly nothing, but there's definitely something. Meaning it's, it's perfect that the staircase never comes out because of course it has to leave you unsatisfied. That moment has to be totally unconsummated uh, in that it, it wobbles, it's definitely coming out, it's dangerous and it's the symbol of danger, but you're not gonna get what you want from it. You know what's great, you, you just reminded me of? The end of Bringing Up Baby. So the whole scat, you know, his, the whole bone he's been looking for, he's up on the scaffolding with Catherine Hepburn, they're going back and forth. And so when the, when the dinosaur falls down, that's okay, because he's up there with her, right? And, and of course that's all set up because you know that, that you know that dinosaur is coming down. Um, and if it didn't, that, you, you, would, you would think to yourself, that's kind of strange. In the same way you think that when, when um, Robert Wise keeps showing the bolt in the wall, like, okay, when is this going to come down? How's it going to save her? Is this where someone's going to die? And it doesn't. And that, and that adds to the, the, the I think, the, um, the, the mood of the movie. Now, there are a couple of moments where it's, ex it's made explicit that there is something supernatural going on yeah. in the house and that it, unlike the turn of the screw where there's supposed right. to be plausible deniability, uh, of, of whether or not there's something yeah. happening and there's there's probably not. Um, that is not the case in The Haunting. There's two moments. One of them is my moment, one of them is not. I love the breathing door and the moving <laughs> door because I don't I don't actually know how they made that effect come off in 1963. Uh, yeah. I would, I'd like to look into that. Uh, but, but my moment, just for the simple reason that the movie, it, it would be easy for the movie to do what Poltergeist did and just have ghosts. Right. And then it would be easy to, to pull a turn of the screw and say, no, we're not going to have any effects at all. But the moments in this film are used so judiciously that it keeps the film moving forward. And mine is when they're investigating the cold spot at night. And he says, I found something, but he's found something totally invisible. And then one of the characters steps into the cold spot and their breath is condensation. So you can see the breath yeah. come out just like cigarette smoke. Yep. And then another character mimics the same thing in the same spot. I thought that that was so beautifully and gracefully done and it keeps the movie moving forward. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the day after I saw this, I was riding my bike and I went with this pot patch in the woods and a uh, true story. And all of a sudden I hit like a cold spot because there was a stream there and for a split second, I was like, ah! Like, it, really, it reminded me so much because that movie at that moment had stuck in the back of my head. Um, let's, while we're talking about the, the cold spots and, and the scares of the movie, you know, this movie certainly reminds you that less is more. And then if you were home and you just heard something banging like that, again, you'd be done. You wouldn't need the whole, you wouldn't need the Blair Witch or, or the backstory of paranormal activity. You'd be, you'd be out. But maybe in part three, when we talk about the ending, we could talk about, I'd like to talk a little more about Eleanor and about you know, what she wants and, who, and why I think she's such an interesting character. So maybe we'll talk about that in part three. Let's do it. So welcome back. In part three, we'd like to talk about the ending, which, which we certainly will, um, or our take on the title, which this title, uh, I actually have a little take on this as well. But let's go back to Eleanor for a second, Mike. Like, why do you think she's, she's such an interesting character? Do you find that she is to any degree like Jack Torrance or other protagonists we've talked about? She is. However, the, the film does one thing explicitly, of course, that The Shining very rarely does, which is that it, it dramatizes Eleanor's thoughts and language in yeah. a way that you know, it would never, it would never occur to Kubrick to do that because he's, he's about the image, you know, he would, he would dramatize thoughts in an image. Um, it would be beneath him too, I think you'd feel it. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, I mean, if maybe the only thing that the movie could have done differently or more modern is that um, Eleanor's thoughts uh, have a, a slight echo effect. 
in the recording. Whereas if they did them today, maybe the only thing they could change about the movie is that, is that they would be much creepier flat as though they were just coming from over your shoulder um, and, and dramatizing them that way. Um, but that's, you know, that's a pointless criticism because the movie was made when it was made. So I think that dramatizing Eleanor's thoughts gives the viewer the feeling or inclination that they understand her, but she's completely unpredictable. She's actually more like, um, say, the Joker that we mentioned in Dark Knight Rises or Bane. Yeah. And yet she has the unpredictability of those, of those characters. So for example, because her thoughts are dramatized to you, you think you have a much closer relationship with her until she starts twirling uh, in, the, uh, in the solarium oh, around and around. And you're sitting there as if you're going, what in the hell is going, I thought I had a read on this because the, the film tricked me into thinking that I had a read on it by giving me her thoughts. But clearly I have no idea what's going on. 100%, 100%, 100%. Boom, 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 exactly. Because I thought when she started twirling around, if I were, um, I don't know, if I were a lot younger or if I wanted to be sarcastic, if I was like a son, one of these snot-nosed kids on my lawn, then they would roll their eyes at that moment. And they would say things like, oh yeah, she's gonna start twirling around. But that moment is so good because Robert Wise tricks you into forming a relationship with her. And you, you know, the voiceover is kind of quaint and it's kind of antiquated, but, but you go along with it because the movie's really well done. But when she started twirling around, I think that's when Robert Wise says, you really don't know her hundred percent. You think you do, because it's a movie convention but you really, really don't. And as the movie goes on, I think she drifts further and further away from you till you start to watch what she's doing in horror and her loneliness and her insecurity. You read the ghosts or whatever the forces in the hill has start to really prey upon that. Till I think at the end, you know, when she leaves in the car, I think what it made me think of is that the whole movie is a slow motion suicide. I mean, she goes there and she's ready to join and, and she'll do whatever she has to to join. Well Clearly the ghost that materializes in this movie is the doctor's wife, because you're yeah. given the information early that he's married. Nobody brings it up, but everybody knows and understands, except for her. Sure. And she is led on and led on and led on and led on until a car pulls up in the middle of the night and a woman appears. But the, of course the woman who appears is a real flesh and blood woman, but it's, it's ultimately, like you said, it's the best jump scare in the film. And then the woman who causes her crash uh, you know, outside. And so that's, I think, a nice, nicely done by the movie um, and, and is really where you understand, again, to your point that the, the other characters are predictable, meaning they, they are characters. You have, you have the sarcastic youngster, sure. you have the serious doctor. Um, Theodora is a very predictable character um, in her wit and her sarcasm. Uh, it's, it's only uh, it's only her that, uh, it's only Nell that's completely yeah. unpredictable. And you think you can predict her because you she, you, you almost feel, this is going to make my mouth the wrong way, but you almost feel like superior to her because she's such a, she's such a, a, a like an emotional train wreck. So when she says that like a beat or, oh, we'll be like sisters. And then like she never drank, but then she's drinking later on and, you, and like they're painting her toenails. And you can see how desperately she wants to be loved and become a part of something where at the end, I mean, she becomes, she becomes part of the house and she finally quote unquote belongs somewhere, but, but at, a, at a terrible, or we see as a terrible price. I don't know if she does. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if this is explicit in the film, but um, between that scene and the story she tells about her her mother, I assume that she was drunk at the time. Yes, I don't know if that if if you picked that up, but I mean that that was my my assumption is that when her mom was banging on the wall asking for help, her back hurt, but really that that meant that that she was drunk and finally trying to have a private moment to herself. 
Yeah, which he's never had. So at the end, I mean, you know, it's a, you've always been the caretaker here, in a sense. <laughs> you know, the, the, the place, you know, the, the house wins. The house always wins, Mike, and the house always wins here. Um, yeah. But I, go ahead. Well, speaking of creepy caretakers, I was I was saying, can you imagine those two meeting in the village in high school? It's like, <laughs> oh my God, you you only speak in monosyllable uh, monosyllabic sentences too. They're five o'clock. Yeah, I put out lunch. Yeah. Five o'clock. I put out dinner. I don't stay past the dark. They were terrific. <laughs> Where did those two find each other? As you talk about a match made in heaven. They were great. So I guess the I guess what the big takeaway is that what's really scary about the film is you know I was thinking about who's haunting who, and I actually looked up the word haunt because I think it's interesting what to be haunted, and it turns out that when you look at the word origin of that, um, the etymology is not hundred percent certain. I looked this up. It comes from the twelfth century. Um, from French and English, and it's unclear whether it meant to practice something habitually, that's the obsolete meaning, to do something over and over, or to frequent a place habitually. But it wasn't, it wasn't always a word that connoted, uh, um, uh, you know, ghosts and the supernatural and stuff. So it's kind of funny that that, what a perfect title that is, that, that you know, she's been haunted by her insecurities and by her dead mother, then, then she meets the ghost of Markway's wife, and now she's going to be haunting, you know, other people, I guess, the next time that the, uh, the paranormal investigators of the Ghostbusters show up. Can't say it better. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you'll follow us on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on Twitter at 15MINFilm, at 15MINFilm. Let us know what we should watch and what we should talk about. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.